how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're vital. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the show, and this week I sat down with Paul Fairweather and Chris Meredith, the podcasting hosts of the show The Common Creative. Paul is a Brisbane-based speaker, author, mentor, architect, and artist who believes we are makers at heart and who is a, on a mission to get people to reconnect with their creative essence. Chris, his co-host, Chris Meredith, is a Sydney-based business coach, innovation consultant, and award-winning photo artist who utilizes this background to help people create, capture, and communicate great ideas. These guys are uh, two great hosts. They really put a lot of things together. I was fortunate enough to be on their show not too long ago, which should be publishing around the same time of this publication. You can listen to that episode over at the Common Creative Podcast. There is a link in the description. If you enjoy that episode, we also talk about some of their other shows, including an episode they did with an eight-year-old creative, which is really entertaining. Um, as always, I have my podcasting producer, Marion, on this episode as well. She does a lot of stuff behind the scenes, sets these up and everything else you can think of to make this show happen. Marion, as you were editing this episode, what are some things that kind of stood out to you? There's a part where um, Chris talks about systems and he mentions how he doesn't really agree with like systems in the sense of replicating the same system over and over again, hoping it will stay successful. And it reminds me a lot of what Ed Solomon said in his episode about how every script needs something different. And you cannot like expect to have like a, a set of instructions and just fill in the blanks and just hope that your script will be successful. Like every script needs something different and you need to approach each one in the way that that particular story needs it. Um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And yeah, also the whole part where you guys talk about AI, I thought that was, I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, sort of in both of these where I was interviewing them and then vice versa, we went down some AI rabbit holes. One thing that I noticed when I, when I first talked to these guys is like, they said I was one of the only people who kind of used AI in a positive light, which is very true, I think, with the strike going on. And it's obviously it's not all positive, but I kind of I do. I definitely see it as a tool. Um, and to get, comment on what you said about Ed Solomon, I, we like the idea that formulas are very predictable and it makes us feel like comfortable in our writing. But everyone's a little bit different. So Ed and I talked about that a lot more. We also talk about it here with Chris and Paul. And it's something that I'm really going deep in with this new course I'm building for nonfiction writers. I'm working with half a dozen writers right now. All of their books are very different. And we're finding that there's not, there are some principles to follow, rules to follow, but each one's gonna be a little bit different than the last. It's something we'll release pretty soon. Um, you can actually get my first book though that I did over at brockswinson.com, learn more about the nonfiction course we're doing, jump on the podcast, see a lot of great free stuff that we're coming out with as well, such as our upcoming prolific writing challenge. All that's over at brockswinson.com. But enough of that now, let's jump in this episode. Here's my conversation with Paul Fairweather and Chris Meredith, the host of the Common Creative Podcast. It's Paul speaking. Um, my origin story is that 
I, I, I'm a recovering architect. I've been an architect my whole career and a visual artist. And I discovered I could write by accident. So someone asked me to write a piece. I said, I possibly couldn't. He said, work with my editor. I did a piece, sent it to the editor, expecting, you know, to rewrite it. And the fellow that commissioned it rang me and said, oh, I love your piece. And I was absolutely terrified that he'd, that he'd read an unedited piece. And I realised I could write. And so it sort of opened up the whole world, world for me. And, uh, and so now I do write and illustrate. But, uh, yeah, that's my uh, story of why I wanted to be a writer or how I came, out to, came about to be a writer. So this is Chris here. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, I'm a bit like Paul. I'm, I'm sort of part writer. I'm, a, I'm also a photographer and I'm a business coach uh, and a refugee from those big companies who put handcuffs on us with their systems, their processes. And I, I think they kill creativity. And so one of the things that drives me to write is to express myself. It's, it's a form of release, I think. Um, and a chance to share some ideas that I hope will make the world go round a bit better. I think something like that. I want to get into the the podcast you guys do in just a minute, but something you said just sparked like the the refugee there. Create creativity to some degree to some degree doesn't scale. We see it with big blockbuster movies; they kind of typically get worse. Um, what are some of your thoughts? Like, how do you make sure you're not getting stale? You know, on your own path now. What are your thoughts about that? I think my my own path, in some ways, I'll never get stale because I suffer from bright, shiny object syndrome. <laughs> uh, and so I never stick at one thing long enough for it to get stale. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, but, you know, having said that, and, and in all, a lot of the reading I've done over the years around creativity, it is this thing about having a, a broader approach and curiosity. Uh, and that seems to be the, you know, the, the key to, a lot of creative people, you know, that trait of of looking broadly uh, and not being narrow minded. In terms of the scaling question, yeah, look, that's a that's a question that is a difficult question to answer because, especially the work that you know I do and Chris does with large corporations, you know, they love the idea of innovation and creativity, but that is very difficult to get them to actually, you know, uh, walk the talk. It's a really good question that creativity doesn't scale, and I'm thinking. In business particularly, they, they thrive on turning things into a system or a process it, it, so you can replicate it, so you can do it again. And it's a great way of making money. But when you, you're making money and you want to do something different, the whole organization has set itself up to do the same thing again and again and again. And, and there's this dreadful jargon word, isn't there? So we need to pivot now. And I think business finds it really hard to do because they've set up the system for doing it the same. My personal answer to your question is, is you need you need to chuck a, a rock in the pond. You, you need stimulus. You need stuff that challenges you, puts you on, in a way, on your back foot and forces you to come up with new stuff. So I suppose that leads to Paul's point about curiosity. You, you've got to be open to new stuff. You've got to challenge yourself with stuff that maybe doesn't quite fit with the way you see the world. And that forces you to be creative. What do you guys think? So we talked about a few things already, writing, photography, working with some agencies. When you start to think differently, you risk failure. How do you guys both think about creative failures and how do you kind of make some room for them in your work life? By moving on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope you don't mind. You're talking to experts in that department. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it is the way, it is the way the burden of anyone creative that you 
you're bound to fail. You're always doing new stuff. And it's quite often it's going to go wrong. Um, I talk a lot about safety. You need to be around in an environment. You need to be around people that are open to new thinking and that can reward you for new thinking and don't judge you too fast. There are moments when you put up a new idea and your audience isn't aware of how to kind of nurture creative thinking and how to bring that out of people. They prefer things to have instant answers. They, they're not happy with that feeling of uncertainty that comes with a new idea. Uh, and then life's tough, but I suppose you just have to come back to kind of who you are and what you want to achieve and lick your wounds and, <laughs> and get on to the next thing. I, I Look, I would just add my flippant, sort of flippant answer. Um, the reality is it's a little bit like the advice that I was given when I started stand-up. You have to be thick-skinned. And my personal, and like Chris, you know, I teach the stuff that he teaches about people about creative confidence and, you know, you've got to step in the unknown. But when it, when it, you know, it's like you know, Muhammad saying, it, everyone's got a game plan until the first punch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when I get rejected or something doesn't work, and I, I feel it, you know, I, I really feel it because I think as creative, we are, we are sensitive. I'm certainly sensitive. And look, I, you know, at, at times it requires therapy and at times it's really just going, okay, well, you know, that didn't work. Just, you know, get back up and do it again. But it, it, it really takes a level of consciousness. And years ago, I read a great book called Path of the Least Resisted by Robert Frisk. And it's a, it's a great book because he's an artist and he says that many artists don't understand that they live in a world of anxiety because every day they're creating something new and that's anxiety. And what they do is they don't understand that's part of their own life. And so they self-medicate because they go and feeling anxious on the tortured artist and they become alcoholics or drug addicts. And I think that's the thing, you know, we basically, it's the world that we live in and we just got to get used to it. And, you know, we're anxious about whether it will work or won't work. And when it doesn't work, it can be quite, you know, we feel it quite personally, I think, as creators. I don't know if you sort of have the same idea, Brock, but I think you just have to, have a certain level of resistance and just, uh, you know, keep on doing it because, you know, whilst that's there and maybe a, a you know, a mere mortal that's or less immortal that's not creative would go, oh, fuck that, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but I think we just have, so, we just have, we have such a drive to create that, you know, yeah. we're, we're like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football, you know, we're always going to, you know, we're always going to run even though we know she's going to pull the football away. We're always going to, you know, run for the ball. So we touched on, obviously, your interest in creativity, but how did you guys meet? And then what led to the podcast? Where did the name of the podcast come from? Tell me kind of that story. Well, you got to tell that story. It's it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's a COVID-based story. <laughs> yeah. So, so Chris and I were introduced by a, by a colleague. Uh, we'd both been going through a, a course uh, around thought leadership. And he said, oh, you guys should talk because you're creative. You know, and not a lot of people are creative. You know, you two go sit in the corner of the room. Anyway, that was uh, virtually, uh, and we had our first conversation in February 2020 on the phone, and a month later, the whole world was locked down, and we had a Zoom call, and we just started sort of rabbiting on about creativity, and I actually said, I wish we'd recorded this so I could have used some of the transcript for an article. He said, let's do better. Let's invite some people in to listen. So we started running seminars, just asking people to come and listen to us rabbit on, and then after a while, we said, let's uh, let's make this into a podcast. And of course, we had no idea how to do that. And that was, you know, three years ago now. And it's a lot easier now. But three years ago, the technology wasn't quite as transparent as it is now. Chris, the name? Uh, the name is, is designed to kind of reflect the fact that creativity is common to everyone. Everyone has a creative story to tell. 
Um, and, and so the common creative is about lifting the lid on creativity, giving people who perhaps don't feel they're creative a bit more confidence and picking the brains of people who are creative. What's, what are your secrets? Where does it come from? What can we learn? Um, yeah, we're not quite it, Brock, up to your kind of scale of numbers of podcasts. We're just about to hit number 100. And we've spoken to CEOs, we've spoken to artists, we've spoken to academics, and probably our poster child is literally a child. He's now, I think, eight years old. A seven-year-old child progeny, a, a, an amazing illustrator, was probably one of our, our most exciting guests. <laughs> we interviewed him. <laughs> Except for Brock, of course. <laughs> Except for you, Brock, of course. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, well, so Paul and I have only ever met physically. Is it three times, Paul? Uh, three times, yeah. Relatively few times. So Paul's based in Brisbane, I'm based in Sydney. It's what, a few, few thousand kilometres away from each other. But we chat almost every day. And of course, we run the podcast. So I've got, um, I'm curious about some of those early conversations you had. When I started writing some screenplays with a partner, I realized no matter where I start, we're going to talk about the same 10 movies. Like that's what our interest is. What did you, what stood out to you having these conversations about creativity? Was there repeated things? What did you not know about yourself perhaps in some of those early talks? I think there are two themes. The first is a kind of wrestling match that both Paul and I have. We're both kind of artists in our own right. And the first wrestling match is what role that plays, whether you're a painter or a photographer, in helping you kind of informing the way you run your business. So there's that wrestle, kind of, do I keep this as a side hustle? Is it unrelated to my business or is it something I can harvest and draw on for business? And then the second kind of theme, the things that I think connectors then get is an extension of that is, okay, having made that kind of a decision on that one, how do I make money out of it? How do I help, how do we help each other work with clients and help them become more creative? How does that sound to you, Paul? Yeah, look, I would concur with that. I, my answer was going to be, you know, how do, how do we be more commercial? Because, um, you know, and, and we, but we learn from each other. You know, Chris, in fact, you asked me before about being a writer. It's been my conversation over the last three years that whilst I knew beforehand that I could write, that uh, I've learned to be a storyteller or the confidence to call myself a storyteller through my interaction with Chris. And uh, and I noticed that now Chris does a lot more drawing. Um, so we, 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 uh, and he's better at the sort of quick, loose sketches than I am. So, so we're sort of, you know, building our individual skills, you know, based on each other. But it's this thing about, you know, really interesting, like how did you do that in going into businesses to get their attention? Um, and interestingly, I think we've only done three workshops together. And, you know, if we had the, you know, the, the magic ball or the crystal ball, you know, that's what we'd like to do more of or three wishes, you know, we'll have more of that, thanks, and more of that and more of that. Because it's so much more fun and there's so much more energy when we do it uh, mm. together. And, uh, and bounce off each other and in some ways easier because, you know, with that energy. So, you know, we, and we sort of got the common creator. We've got another thing called two common creators, which is just us. Uh, but, you know, yes, we, um, we'd like to do more of that. <laughs> we even have t-shirts to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it. I haven't got mine on. So sometimes, I mean, partnerships work a lot just for intangible reasons. It seems like you'd probably have the same taste about things and maybe the same work ethic. Uh, not to name names, with every time in your past where you kind of went down that road, but it just didn't feel right. And why didn't it feel right with other partners? I'm curious about like 
what made this click so much or where it didn't work? Maybe, maybe it didn't work before. Maybe it was your first time trying it. Look, I've had a, a long history of very successful partnerships. Unfortunately, many of them lasted for longer than they should have. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the timing, you know, but, the, you know, but they've been very beneficial and they've been very successful yet, you know, some of them went, went by, went by the use date. Being an architect, I come from a world where you need an ego to survive and in partnerships with other egos, it can be very difficult. I think that from my part, I've, I've let go a lot of my <laughs> expectations of control and really learned uh, the other lesson from my partnerships is about you know, working to strengths. And Chris and I are sort of similar but different. You know, like when I write half a page, it'll take me three days. Chris can whip it off in a minute. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, it's all that copywriting has done all those years. Uh, and, and for probably more importantly, when we have discussions and, and it works better when we're face to face, because there's this whole neurotransmitter thing that happens, we just ideate in such an amazing way. Uh, and we start with nothing and we always end up with something. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, and it's, and it's really, it's really good. And it's, and it's just so much easier than doing it itself and the other thing that i would say is chris is a fantastic sounding board for me and i hope the other way around where i go i go this and he goes yeah no crap you know <laughs> i go okay I'll, I'll try again you know and he'll that anyway so so yeah so look i think the thing is about um not that i have low expectations but it's that expectation of control that i'm only half and half and you know and it's this whole thing about skills that similar but different i agree with all of that i think it's about sort of inspiration when you need it and we all go through ups and downs and something like that's brilliant you had no idea how good that was did you and, and no it's you didn't do that and then the moral support you know if you hit a wall or if something doesn't go something you just kind of go hey it's not that we're not saving lives here we're just trying to kind of do our own thing and it picks you up so i think i think that's really important too I think you maybe, and I think you guys have a, a, a larger team too, maybe, but you kind of get to share those in the book Rocket Fuel, they call it visionaries and integrators. And it's kind of the two parts of the brain. It sounds like you guys can maybe go back and forth with, okay, this needs to make money, but here's how we make it creative and kind of shift those two hats. Is that kind of how you see it? Yeah, yes. I think so. <laughs> I think one thing Paul and I both very weird that Paul talked about shiny object syndrome. I think we're both handicapped by that. It's something you, oh, let's do this. Uh, so I think uh, we have people around us that kind of keep us on the straight and narrow. If there's, if there's a routine we set up, like recording the podcast, you know, that happens like clockwork. People help us make stick to that and, and keep it going out. We're not forever pursuing new plans that are going to kind of either blow up or distract us from the business of running a business and kind of getting stuff out the door that, that helps the world. So the three of us all kind of share this path where some people might say, don't dissect the bird to get to the song. Well, we all dissect the bird every time we have a conversation like this. One. <laughs> what do you guys see as the balance of like how it helps and how it hurts your own creativity? In, in terms uh, of, oh, sorry, go on, Chris. You... Well, I was just going to say, I, I haven't been aware of us sort of sort of like you know dissecting the bird to get uh, in a negative way i think we we talk a lot about what is creative where does it come from how do you enhance it and one of the big learnings i think from our podcast is that it, it, there's as much science to 
enhancing your creativity as there is in any other field of human endeavor that you can train yourself to be more creative you can train other people to be creative um with some quite simple kind of rules um so our dissection hasn't killed the bird at all it's actually i would say our dissection of creativity has forgive for better made the song even better uh, <laughs> and we use those things in in the kind of work we do with clients we've learned something about creative we can help you be more creative uh try this and and things pop out that the clients didn't expect so yeah um i'm happy to dissect the bird <laughs> <laughs> are there any um maybe recent examples of an interview you did where you learned something that changed like a creative habit or something more tactical that people could start to implement as quick as like day one? God, every time we learn something, we learn. Um, we recently had a fellow, Neil Ford, uh, who I designated. Uh, he's from LA. And funny story, I, I organized after the podcast to have a catch up and we were chatting and after a half, and I said, oh, look, I'm stealing the show. I'm stealing, I'm stealing the conversation. What was it you want to talk about? I said, nothing i said you're my new best friend this is what new best friends do we hang out <laughs> oh right oh okay that's fine then well then we're on track but no look he he had a thing he, he he tells these amazing stories um and he's just his voice and the way he does it his whole presentation but the thing that i i i took away from him and it's something you know again you know maybe it's a little bit like dissecting the bird you know lo looking for the heart and soul not necessarily the voice box is that in the end, it's just about being a better human being and about kindness. And I think that, you know, we get so wrapped up in this, you know, for what reason, you know, do we do all this stuff? And he has this very simple message about being a better human. And for me, you know, that's got to be at the heart of creativity. You know, why are we trying to create? You know, what are we trying to create? And for me, it was it was quite profound i suppose um that that's one of the reasons i, I have another one chris if you don't have any but uh no i'm dying i, I want to jump in with because <laughs> this is kind of other end of the spectrum it's a very simple very practical thing that we've learned from people on the podcast that, that anyone can apply so I, I was running a, a workshop i wanted to uh, um the people online to use a couple of creative tools to help them better express what they were trying to say it's early in the morning and we've learned from a couple of different neuroscientists that we're more creative when we're in a good mood it's not rocket so you wouldn't think you did a science to tell you that but we we don't kind of apply it and and it's not been formally acknowledged until the kind of world of neuroscience caught up so what, what I, I just challenged without telling them why since everyone that was working with me to think of that song, the one, it's midnight, it's somebody else's wedding, they put it on and you can't help but yourself, but jump on the dance floor and make a complete fool of yourself. What is that song? So one by one, we go around and it's dancing on the street or it's firework or it's murder on the dance floor. All of those silly songs that we know and pretty soon everybody's laughing and kind of taking the mick out of each other. So now they're on the good mood. And then we give them a creative task. Try these writing tools. Try them out on something you're trying to say. And the result was magic. I, I was just blown away. They got out of themselves and they and they put their heart and soul into expressing themselves better. Very simple idea. And it comes from science and it's fun to do and you get a better creative output. That's, that's fun for the podcast. Do you think that, I mean, I feel like neuroscience has recently kind of moved into the productivity kind of mainstream more so than it has been before. Why do you think for so long it was we we kind of praise the tortured martyrs? We think of Van Gogh and some of those that was just like it just seemed brutal the whole thing. Like why why do you think that became so popularized? And are any thoughts on that? 
I think it's it's safer to put creativity in a small box and there are these weird people that do it and don't let them into my space because it is an act of bravery to come up with a new idea. You're inviting other people to judge you and nine times out of 10, you're going to get cut to shreds. And so you put it in a box. It's something for them, not for me. And a tortured martyr like Van Gogh is perfect. We would understand him. He's a weirdo. Amazing paintings, but goodness me, what a weird person. And now we're getting to grips with the fact it's not just Van Gogh. It's all of us, I'm afraid. Maybe we shouldn't all chop our ears off. But it's, <laughs> we're all of us guilty of creativity. <laughs> I, I think actually what it's about is that you know, it's a neuroscientist. It's actually because of what the neuroscientists are learning. Hmm. And, and you know, they're seeing actually what's happened in the brain. And I, I, I just read an article the other day by a guy, uh, Barry Scott Kaufman, who wrote a book, Wide to Create. It's one of my favourite books. And this was sort of a summation. And it was a bit in this book about this research um, that they had recently done comparing brains of highly creative people and brains with people with schizophrenia. Uh and they're very, very similar. <laughs> and and but what it is is it's about this thing about the filters and someone who's schizophrenia has no filter in terms of you know they just see everything and they sort of get almost confused. And we talked about curiosity before. That's what the same sort of filters in the in the a um in like around the dopamine basically in the creative brain, where you know we we see a lot of sensory material. And so I think the reality is that by examining um, what's happening in the brain and even the stuff about the default network and the uh, executive control network and salient network, they're actually seeing what's really happening and, you know, what's crazy, what's not crazy, um, and that it's all function of the brain rather than this sort of airy-fairy thing of creativity. And so I think it's, I think it's the scientific understanding because, you know, we love – even when we're creative, we love to know how things work and because they can they can see into people's heads to see how it works. You go, okay, well, we can use this for good rather than just being, you know, denoted as crazy. It sounds like I'm just thinking about your answers there. It also kind of gives you permission to acknowledge the creativity where personally, if something's easy, I assume it's not good. It must be hard to be good, right? You have to kind of punish yourself almost for to get to the the good stuff or something like that. Yeah, I wonder if that's true. There's certainly moments when you do something just by instinct, it just comes out naturally. And other people go, wow, how did you do that? I don't know, what was you hear those, amazing? like, I think some of the Beatles songs almost came to them. But yeah. they had the other three in the room to say, oh, no, it's pretty good. We should do it. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, that's it. You know, that, that environment of safety, you need to, you need to be in that, that very fragile place where there are people with you that support you we're in the right your mind's in the right space you know what you're trying to achieve and then then the magic happens but you're equally i'm sure you're absolutely right you're equally it's equally true that you can burn a midnight oil you know a lot of sweat and 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 tears to get to something which may be good <laughs> may still be rubbish it's <laughs> there's no guarantee so you guys have done a couple episodes recently about AI. I think we talked about AI briefly a little bit. I want to say after the show, maybe you said that I was one of the few to kind of have a positive view. And I'm, I'm curious what your viewpoints are about AI and where things are going today, specifically for writers or maybe for creatives. Uh, look, it, it, you know, we, we've been on the, the roller coaster in our discussions with AI. As I say, you know, as we said, you had a sort of a more positive outlook 
Some not not that it was negative, but there was certainly you know some scary scary stuff. You know, that basically, you know, around we've let the genie out of the bottle, and we should have worked out the rules first, uh, or the boundaries first before we we opened the lid, or before we polished polished it up. Look, my reaction, and maybe it's a bit of a sort of you know a luddite thing. I occasionally use it, but in terms of ChatGPT, just you know, to if Chris is not around. You know, it's the next best thing to uh, bouncing some ideas around. I don't bother <laughs> with the visual, but it's just reinforcing me the work that I do because, you know, the more and more often now I'm picking up a brush or typing on the, you know, on the computer to go, I am creating things <laughs> myself. And I've started videoing me doing the watercolors to go, this is not AI. So it's like, you know, I'm going back to the, you know, I'm having a, a reversal or total reaction against it to say, you know, I'm just going to do yeah. what I do, and, and and the other bit will just will just happen. But I'm just going to, and because people still still, you know, I, I could easily do an AI image and put it on a frame and try to sell it to somebody, but they love it because it's me and we talk. You know, like there's just something about that that handmade, you know, craft art that that I'm just tapping into. So that's um, yeah. I heard somebody describe. AI is being so a, a computerized version of the wisdom of the crowd, which which is you know you have a, a jar full of beans, and you right. get one person to guess how many beans are in, and they'll guess whatever they guess, and then more and more and more and more people you ask to guess the average of what they say will actually be the most accurate guess of how many beans are in that jar. So it kind of it takes what the world has sort of said and kind of synthesizes it. So AI is always going to come up with, in a way, the average. I was watching an AI-generated movie the other day. It was dreadful, by the way. But it was kind of, it was a horror movie. And they know that what, what you need in a horror movie is fire. You need a scary-looking creature. You need kids carrying And it just pulls up the average of a horror movie. So in that sense, AI is the enemy of creativity because real creativity is stuff you haven't seen before, stuff that's new and different. And... AI is always looking for norms, averages, patterns, shapes, and so on. Uh, and the scary thing is it will guess averages too. It has this ability to hallucinate is the word I heard. Um, it'll guess the answer and put it out there. And it appears to be fact. It appears to be, you know, this is, this is what the science says. And it's actually taking a step to guessing the average. And I think that's the dangerous side. We don't know when it's guessing. It makes me think of a, a weird analogy that I'm probably going to butcher. I think I heard this on Tim Ferriss, but he said something like, there's a real example, I think, when they make like gardening tools. You don't make the most generic version that'll fit all people out of the gate. You think of the two extremities. So you, if you're making a shovel, you think of a four-foot person and a seven-foot person. And for some reason, thinking of those odd ends, the tool at the end is actually better. And I think that's the the personal touch that we're missing where AI is just like, I'm going to make the, you know, the... A camel is a horse drawn by committee, that kind of analogy yeah. of, of all things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's turning everything into a formula. By itself, that that may not be a problem, but it's the fact that we ex we risk accepting that as the best solution, that we we take that as gospel and, and it's and um I think we've got to remember it's a machine. One of our guests, a guy called Jeremy Wagstaff, said the thing about AI, it sounds very human-like. It, it talks like a human. It responds to questions like a human. But it's a machine. And if we start to treat it like a human and ask it questions that you'd expect a human to do, that's very dangerous. Yeah.
And we want to avoid good enough, which is the whole writer's mm-hmm. track that, that still continues kind of today. So yeah. we're almost yeah. out of time. Um, tell me about, you guys have been creatives for a number of years now. What are some false beliefs you had early in your career about creativity or the work you wanted to do? Uh, that creativity is relative. You know, I think that's probably the biggest learning that I've had. It doesn't matter how creative someone else is. It doesn't affect my creativity. But I think, you know, um, I, comparing you know myself creatively to others has been a trap. Uh, and so I've learned, uh, try not to do it. Um, Unless, of course, I'm better than them. <laughs> <laughs> I I think um, mine is you can you can always learn uh, from other people who who may think they're less experienced or less skilled than you, and and you can learn from them if you can see things through their eyes. There's always stuff you can learn, and the day you get a bit confident, a bit cocky, is a dangerous day because you know, eyes aren't open anymore to kind of new ideas, new ways of delivering what you do. And the other one I would add, just, you know, is what we learned from the podcast um, from Yuri Hasson, who's a Princeton University neuro- neuroscientist around storytelling, is this whole thing about when you tell a story, the brainwaves, if you're good at telling a story, the brainwaves mimic in the listener and the teller. And, uh, and for me, that is just such a powerful uh, piece of knowledge to know that um, as opposed to when you're ideating you're actually doing the reverse you're getting different parts of brains firing in different areas in yeah. different people so for me that's a, a great learning that you know the, the power of story um, and how to uh, to yeah to convey ideas so that that's an incredible learning for me Brock, I know we nearly had to come. I jump in. I'd love, love to ask you a question if you don't <laughs> mind. It's a it's a it's a very practical one. You, you've uh, now I've got the book. I think it's either coming out or has come out. Um, Ink by the Barrel. What a great title. Um, I'd l- I can't wait to read it. Um, and it's based on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul and I have not yet delivered the book of the Common Creative Podcast. I'd love your tips. How, how do you translate a series of podcasts into a book? We, I think we've got all the rubbles that we've never kind of got around to it. But what are your tips for making it happen? Well, there's there's two kind of takes on that. Part of it is when you're looking when you're looking backwards. I would I kind of put everything in note cards. That's how I normally operate, and I literally move them around until there is a coherent flow. When I'm working forwards, though, if I'm like I need more of chapter seven, my next three phone calls, I'm asking them all kinds of questions about something specific, even if it may not be their expertise. And like just like I did tonight. Now this was very conversational, but. Uh, like I was, I was thinking about this idea. There's a, there's a quote from Seth Godin about everyone knows the story of Icarus flying too high and then his wings fall off. But the second part of that is that if he flew, if he flew too low, the waves would also crush him. So he's actually supposed to fly more in the middle. And I was thinking about that idea forever. And I asked three or four people about it. And this guy, um, Scott Andrew James actually wrote a live poem about that very idea on my show. He just like, he spin it out in like in real time. Um, So I like to, I like to see other perspectives. And one thing I think that most writers wouldn't say, I'm open to the idea of two ideas clashing a bit because it's not going to be the same for all creatives. So sometimes I'll almost lead in with the question and then 
whenever they say, oh, I don't do it like that at all. I always listen really intently yeah. to see what I'm yeah. missing, what the other side of that is. But I think some of it's that, yeah, it's just like, you're looking for threads. It's almost how you don't know something until you start to write it. I think you'll probably see more and more revolutions as you kind of fill out the pages and connect the ideas and that kind of thing. Lovely. Thank you. Look yeah. for threads. I think that's a good tip for us. <laughs> so, so, so your your advice is don't get AI to write it for us. After <laughs> no, getting... <laughs> no. no. It's pretty. Brock, that... It's a pretty bad writer. It's a pretty bad writer so far. So that's what. Yeah, I'm no, it is. It is. It Thank is. goodness. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but I think like you, yeah, those ideas, as you know, from writing anything, they come later. They come from all the, you know, the balls of paper and the floor and everything else. And then yeah. I'm working on a new book now, and I've been just throwing. I've got almost a thousand note cards in a pile, and then it's been half a year or more, and then the a title came to me recently. But it just takes a it takes a bit of time. So I don't really start writing until I'm pretty far into the outline. That's the only, you know, that's that's pretty standard for what I do typically, which is different than how I write, you know, ghostwriting books and stuff like that. That's more like what they want to do. It's like a research paper almost a little bit. It's, it's more straight through. I like to kind of when you're when you're putting the puzzle together, it's almost more fun for you as well, I think. So I think you guys will have a lot of fun putting those things together and be like, oh, it's like you said this in episode 82 and this was also in episode three and then how do they connect? And then I also read this book that said this and you'll kind of just see what makes sense for you. And then, you know, breaking it up into three parts and then putting them in their places and which ideas I wanted to resonate with. So like once it was like, make your world small, I'm putting things in that box and then like yeah. kind of seeing how it goes out, you know? So I think that's the big thing. It's like, what's important enough for your book that's repeated that's resonant of the show that's also reflective of the idea you know mm. i love it i feel like we need note cards i'm thinking of detectives before computers <laughs> arrived all their yeah. all the clues went on a note card and they could look through them to yeah. find the patterns. so we need yeah. to be detectives yeah lovely thank you brooke yeah yeah thank you brooke yeah and there's a ron holiday's note card system you could look at that more and that kind of breaks oh, it down and yeah. more specifics and everything how he does it he does it with articles and books and everything mm -hmm. i've scribbled it down ron yeah. holiday's note card system thank you i'll ask one more uh, first like well tell me obviously where our listeners can find more about you guys obviously the podcast any other just last bits of like tactical advice that can kind of implement today to kind of work on some of those habits for creativity. I don't want us about routine. It's kind of do something creative every single day. It kind of force yourself. I, I have a habit. I take a photograph every day. It happens to be of the same beach. And that's my canvas. And it forced myself to take a photograph every single day. And it's amazing how often you, you try and do something and there's nothing there and you kind of give up. And then suddenly... Ah, I see something. That's it. So just it's a habit. Turn it into a habit. Quite my, my tip. Look, my thing is, and I always quote, it's actually Shakespeare from King Lear, nothing will come of nothing. But there's a famous Australian artist, the latest Arthur, the late um, Arthur Boyd. And he um, he basically, he was quoted in an article that every day he'd look at a white canvas and he would quote it saying nothing will come of nothing. And he's the greatest living Australian artist at the time, yet he knew that if he didn't start, nothing would happen. And 
it's a little bit what you're saying about you know when you're writing this it's the iteration process so it's it's often the hardest thing to do but just start and mm. and then things will you know change what you're doing or iterate you know will inform you and and you move on but you you know but you've got to start you've got to get rid of that inertia and get some uh, forward motion yeah thanks so much for tuning into the show before you take off i want to give you a free gift I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.